Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The House today passed a Republican-led bill to raise the debt limit by $1.5 trillion and cut spending. But it didn't happen without drama. The U.S. and South Korea announce a key agreement to boost nuclear deterrence against North Korea. And President Biden responds to concerns about his age amid his 2024 bid. Plus, shakeups and challenges on the presidential campaign trail. Former Governor Asa Hutchinson launches his campaign as RFK Jr. challenges Biden to debate. We have the breakdown. A new lawsuit against former President Trump begins in New York City. Trump posts about the trial on social media, prompting a warning from the judge. Disney sues Florida Governor Ron DeSantis after the company had its special taxing powers revoked. And a judge says a parent never should have been prevented from attending his children's school events. This after Texas School Board banned the man for almost a year. The House today passed a Republican-led bill to raise the debt limit by $1.5 trillion and cut spending. But it didn't happen without drama. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has been following this closely. Melina, what's the latest and how did this vote unfold this evening? So this bill did pass this evening, but only by a hair. There were four Republicans who still voted against this bill, who were skeptical over the past couple of weeks. Now, this bill, dubbed by Republicans as the Limit Saving Grow Act, essentially raises the nation's debt by $1.5 trillion, while also cutting from Democrats' key priorities, such as Biden's student loan forgiveness program, as well as the recently granted money given to the IRS. It also tightens work requirements for Americans to receive social welfare programs, uh, social welfare benefits. Now, uh, Speaker McCarthy, right after that bill passed, he came out and explained uh, why he thinks this is a step forward for our nation's fiscal responsibility. And we'll also show you Democrats' response to this argument. Take a look. We're going to grow this economy by making us energy independent again and getting more people, encouraging them back to work. The sad part here is now the Democrats need to do their job. The president can no longer ignore by not negotiating. This goes back to those tax cuts from Bush in a time of warfare, goes to the Trump tax cuts, and it goes to the pandemic spending. That's the bill that's in front of us. Now, there were some skeptical Republicans leading up to today's vote, and one of those skeptical Republicans that we heard from last Friday is Congresswoman Victoria Sparts. So she was originally undecided on this bill. Um, Today, she showed up in support of the bill, but she told me she still wished for some more bipartisan cooperations. Here's what she told me. We collected $4 trillion of revenue last year. Our mandatory automatic spending is $4 trillion. From roughly $2 trillion discretionary spending, you know, that 80%, which is all in debt, like 100% of it in debt, 80% not even authorized by Congress. So we- and I was hoping that we could maybe find common ground and take some issues that like site neutrality, fraudulent overbilling of Medicare, 
totally, you know, bipartisan issues. Now the fact that there were skeptical Republicans leading up to today's vote over the past couple of weeks, that skepticism from the Republican Party did lead to some last minute changes in this bill. Some of those changes are with regards to tightening up work requirements for receiving social welfare benefits such as, uh, for example, the food stamp program, as well as making sure that some clean energy tax credits were still included in this bill, but House Leader Steve Scalise told me that none of the changes were substantive. Now, as far as this bill moving forward, this is essentially Republicans opening proposal for negotiations with President Biden uh, because Democrat leader over on the Senate side, Chuck Schumer, says that this bill is dead on arrival in the Senate. And we also saw a veto threat from the White House just yesterday. So essentially, another bill will have to be written or this one will have to be reformed in order for it to get Democrat buy-in in the Senate and from the White House to move forward. But essentially, this is Republicans' effort to force President Biden to come to the negotiation table and put pressure on him to raise the debt ceiling with stricter spending measures attached to it. All right, thanks, Melina. And vowing to deter nuclear threats from communist-controlled North Korea, President Biden announces a new agreement with South Korea. And he reacts to concerns over his 2024 bid. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the Rose Garden. The U.S. and South Korea announcing a key new agreement on Wednesday to deter rising threats from North Korea. As part of the pledge, the U.S. will send nuclear submarines to South Korea for the first time in 40 years. Our mutual defense treaty is ironclad. They're particularly important in the face of DPRK's increased threats. The announcement marks the climax of a six-day state visit to the U.S. by South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol. And as the two reaffirm what they call... A value alliance that is strong, resilient and sustainable. President Biden delivers a blunt warning to North Korea, saying a nuclear attack and will result in the end of whatever regime were to take such an action. And in return for the submarines, South Korea is reaffirming its commitment to not develop its own nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, the move to strengthen alliance with South Korea comes as the Biden administration is pivoting to focus more on the Indo-Pacific region, especially as China is expanding its influence and increasingly posing threats to Taiwan. We discussed our work together on promoting peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. Domestically, Biden's facing headwinds as he announces his 2024 bid. And on Wednesday, he responded to concerns about his age and his mediocre performance in polls. People are going to find out, they're going to see a race, and they're going to judge whether or not I have it or don't have it. That's as he reacts to the question. You've said you can beat Trump again. Do you think you're the only one? I may not be the only one, but uh, uh, I know him well, and I know the danger he presents to our democracy. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. The latest in the presidential race, former Arkansas Governor Republican Asa Hutchinson formally launched his presidential campaign today, pledging to bring out the best of America. How does his experience compare with other candidates and potential candidates? We hear from constitutional attorney and former senior advisor to President Trump, Jenna Ellis, for her take on this and other candidate developments. Jenna Ellis, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on again. Now, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson formally kicked off his presidential campaign today. He's entering a crowded field of GOP contenders, many of whom have larger war chests and better name recognition. But he's touting his extensive experience as what sets him apart. 
What do you make of his chances? Well, his experience does include being a former U.S. attorney, former member of Congress, and of course, the former governor of Arkansas. But uh, that's really comparative experience to, let's say, someone like Ron DeSantis, who uh, was a JAG officer, uh, was also a former congressman, and of course, is still the current sitting governor of Florida. So I think that Asa Hutchinson is going to have to try to set himself uh, apart in some other way. And of course, by comparison to Donald Trump, Donald Trump has literally the Trump card. He was the former president. President Biden also started campaigning this week. He focused on the idea of protecting personal freedoms such as abortion access and social security and such. And he specifically took aim at MAGA Republicans. What do you make of his messaging so far? Well, I think everyone knows that it's not really Joe Biden's messaging. It's just the handlers around him. And interestingly, Gavin Newsom, who was widely considered to possibly jump into the race, uh, declined as soon as Biden announced. Uh, but this is really the Democrats' campaign style, is that they want to paint uh, everyone on the conservative side as extremists when they're the ones who are genuinely extreme, with wanting transgender surgeries on minors under this flag of gender-affirming care, when they want a state-funded abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. I mean, these are the kinds of extremist radical ideas that I hope that every conservative and anyone on the GOP ticket for the nomination will push back uh, against this type of label and show the Democrats for who they really are. Democratic presidential candidate RFK Jr. is calling on Biden to debate him despite the DNC canceling all primary debates. How do you see this playing out and how do you see the DNC's strategy here? Well, the DNC is treating uh, Joe Biden like the incumbent that he is, but I think it's very unfortunate that they're uh, saying that they're not going to give people like RFK Jr. and any other Democrats that want to enter the race an opportunity to actually go up against Joe Biden. Uh, listen, America has a very valid and sincere question about Joe Biden's mental health status and whether or not he's even capable of being the president for another four years. And so on the debate stage, especially for a Democratic primary. I think that RFK Jr. is right to push this issue and to call Joe Biden out and demand that he debate. Trump also recently said that he may not debate in the GOP's primaries. On True Social, he asked why he should open himself to being libeled and abused in debates overseen by what he called hostile networks with angry Trump and MAGA-hating anchors. Your thoughts on that? Well, that certainly didn't stop him from uh, any of the debates in 2016. And unlike Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump is not the incumbent. This is an open Republican primary. And so I think for Donald Trump to act like he is entitled to the nomination when uh, we have a primary for a reason is a bad strategy. And I don't think one that will ultimately serve him well. Uh, the polls are showing that he is up, but uh, Ron DeSantis has not yet declared his candidacy. A lot of us expect that he will. And I do think that a lot of the polls will change once uh, Ron DeSantis enters the race. And so for President Trump, I think this looks like he doesn't want to face Ron DeSantis on the debate stage. And that calculation isn't going to work in his favor. So I do think that he does need to recontemplate that uh, decision and opinion. So we'll see what happens. And how likely is it, do you think, that we'll see a Trump versus Biden rematch in 2024? Well, I think it's still a long way away from the Republican primary, and uh, I'm going to be very interested to see what the polls show and uh, how there may be this uh, new silent 
majority that is for Governor DeSantis that may not have said so openly yet because he hasn't declared. So a lot of things can change a lot of times still. And so uh, while right now Trump is the clear front runner, a lot of things can change. All right, Jenna Ellis, former senior advisor and counsel to President Donald Trump and constitutional attorney. Thank you so much. Thank you. Speaking of former President Trump, his lawyers are asking Congress to intervene in the dispute over classified documents. The legal team says that the public is misled and Congress should stop the DOJ's investigation. In a 10-page letter, the legal team says Trump wasn't at fault for the documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate. Instead, it calls the White House's document handling and storage procedures flawed. The letter says the National Archives didn't help Trump pack up the same way it did for the previous presidents. His lawyers urge Congress to make clear procedures for document handling, standardize the process for changing administrations, and to order the DOJ to halt its criminal investigation. The request comes as the DOJ has started making the documents marked classified available for congressional review. And in New York, another trial involving Trump is underway. A former magazine columnist testified in court today in a defamation lawsuit against Trump. Former magazine columnist E. Jean Carroll is suing former President Trump. She appeared in a New York courtroom Wednesday to testify in her battery and defamation civil lawsuit. She says he sexually assaulted her in a department store dressing room in the 1990s and then denied the allegations years later. While testifying, Carroll said Trump ruined her reputation when he denied the incident happened. An employee of that department store was the first witness to testify on Wednesday. Trump is not expected to attend the trial unless he is called to testify or chooses to take the stand in his own defense. The former president did write about the case on Truth Social, calling it a made-up scam and witch hunt. He said Carroll's lawyer is, quote, a political operative financed by a big political donor. The judge told Trump's attorneys to warn the former president about making comments about the case on social media. If Trump continues to post about the trial, the judge said Trump could face a new source of potential liability. A jury was selected Tuesday, and opening statements began later in the afternoon. The trial is expected to last up to two weeks. And in Florida, the conflicts between Governor Ron DeSantis and Disney have reached another level. The House of Mouse announced a lawsuit against the governor today. In a federal lawsuit filed on Wednesday, Disney accused Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his hand-picked oversight board of weaponizing their political power to punish the company. The lawsuit came minutes after the oversight board voted to nullify an agreement Disney had struck with its previous board in February. The vote essentially took away self-governing powers from Disney. The entertainment giant said in the lawsuit, Disney finds itself in this regrettable position because it expressed a viewpoint the governor and his allies did not like. In America, the government cannot punish you for speaking your mind. The House of Mouse is asking the court to nullify two new laws that restructured its special taxing district, arguing that DeSantis violated the company's First Amendment rights. DeSantis's office reacted to the lawsuit, saying, This lawsuit is yet another unfortunate example of their hope to undermine the will of the Florida voters and operate outside the bounds of the law. The conflict between Disney and the DeSantis administration began last year, when Disney spoke out against Florida's parental rights bill. 
Florida lawmakers voted to strip Disney of its special taxing district and replace it with a board appointed by the governor. But Disney struck a last-minute deal with its previous board to retain most of its powers. The Florida governor is currently on a trip to Asia, where he discussed business opportunities with top officials in Japan and South Korea. It's a move some say gears him up for a potential run for president. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Now we'll zoom in on the conflict between parents and school boards. A parent in Texas wasn't allowed to attend any of his children's school events for almost a year. Now, a judge says he never should have been banned in the first place. NTD's Jason Perry has this story, but please be advised that some of the content is not appropriate for younger viewers. These books should not be available to any minor. They really shouldn't. Chad Green is a school board member at McKinney Independent School District in Texas. Um, some of them deal with um, very graphic topics where the husband and wife rapes a daughter. And I, I mean, I'm, and I'm saying, like I'm describing to you, right? I mean, going into incredible detail, right? And um, to where you're coming up with pictures on these things. Green said there are 182 books in the McKinney School District that shouldn't be on the shelves. A parent in the same school district, Samuel Hall, expressed his support for Green at a school board meeting in 2022. I support Chad Green. And honestly, I think each and every one of you should be arrested. That's what I think. I'm here to protect these kids, and I expect you to do the same. And I expect you to do the same. That's all I got. And this video was taken when Hall left that school board meeting. That's what y'all support. And when Hall showed up for the next month's school board meeting, he was greeted by a school resource officer who issued him a criminal trespass warning. Because I walked out of a school board meeting and said, this is what y'all support. That's not all you said. What else did I say? You're a bunch of pedophiles. You get I did not call them pedophiles. Okay. I said they support pedophilia. Okay. All right, so were you getting trespass warning? I talked to Hall about what happened. Almost a whole year, I could not pick up my kids from school. I could not drop them off at school. I couldn't attend any of their school events, which hurt myself. It hurt my family. It was damaging to my family. And I can never get that time back, and neither can my children. Hall got help from paralegal and child advocate Deborah Lopez-Leva. And in a proposal, a judge said the trespass was invalid. The reason was that Hall was never given a verbal warning first, and also because it would severely impair his ability to partner in his children's education. But the school board president, Amy Dankel, said the district lifted Hall's trespass around the same time. She said there had been no further incidents and that there were a number of student activities at the end of the year Hall may want to attend. And I definitely think it was the superintendent and the other sitting members that wanted to intimidate um, the parents. And, and it worked. I mean, I've, I've got several parents that have, I've talked to that have had things brought to their kids, uh, situations happen with their kids, um, and they don't want to come forward because they're afraid of what the district's going to do to them, their reputation, or their kids' reputation. Jason Perry, NTD News. Kids under the age of 13 might get banned from social media. That's if a new Senate bill becomes law. Lawmakers say tech companies are knowingly sacrificing children's mental health for profit. 
NTD's Arian Pazdar explores the issue. We must protect our children. A bipartisan group of four senators on Wednesday introduced the Protecting Kids on Social Media Act. The proposed bill would bring two major changes, age verification and changes to the algorithm. Under the proposal, kids under the age of 13 would be completely banned from social media. Those between the ages of 13 and 17 would need parental approval. Facebook and Instagram already have a rule saying users have to be at least 13 years of age. Now senators want to require social media apps to use professional age verification, which is already used by the Social Security Administration, Veterans Affairs, online gambling sites and more. Critics say this means users would have to give away their personal data, which could lead to data breaches. The senators dismissed the concern, saying this would limit the data social media companies are already collecting on young users. The new bill would also make it illegal for companies to feed underage users personalized content. They can predict in the future what you might write based on what you've been tapping. If you click on one account, they can predict and therefore send you to other accounts that are like that. If you click on a video to watch it, they'll know how long you watch that video and what it says about your user habits. Such algorithms can lead to dangerous addictions. A press release cited findings that show teens on average consume almost nine hours of screen time every single day. And much of the content shown by algorithms is negative. You get high engagement by a high degree of polarization and upset. And so the business model is the more we upset kids, the more money we make. This week, Epoch Times California Insider spoke with Nick Yannicki, who is with Gunjing World. Gunjing World is a new tech platform with rules such as no violence, no criminal activity, nothing harmful and nothing erotic. As a humanity, you know, we have to have technology for good, we have to have AI for good. Everything we do has to be for the benefit and the morality of humanity. So that's kind of the starting point of everything uh, as we're building this out, basically. He added that Ganjing World is an app which expands the human intellect. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a former Harvard professor is paying the price for lying about his close relationship with China. And in the WNBA, just a few weeks from the season's start, will Brittany Griner be back to her all-star self? That update and more when we return. A former Harvard University professor lied about his ties to a China-run recruitment program. He was sentenced to two years of supervision today and given a hefty fine. Charles Lieber has to pay a $50,000 fine and $33,600 in restitution to the IRS. He was also sentenced to two years of supervised release with the first six months in home confinement. Lieber is the former chair of Harvard's Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology. He was convicted in December 2021 of six felony counts, including making false statements, filing false tax returns, and failing to file reports for a foreign bank account in China. In short, he supported Chinese scientific and technological development while hiding his involvement and also receiving millions in federal funding to work on sensitive U.S. research. His attorney asked the judge to spare his client prison time, citing Lieber's decade-long battle with blood cancer. 
And now to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. WNBA star Brittany Griner is back practicing with her old team, the Phoenix Mercury, ahead of the new season. But after being detained in Russia for the better part of a year, it's anyone's guess as to where her game is at. Teammate Dayana Tarazi, though, shared a glimpse into her progress Tuesday, telling ESPN, quote, I think she's progressed. I mean, when you don't do anything for 10 months, yeah, it's a long strain on your body, mentally, physically, but every week you see her getting a little bit better. Greiner was detained at a Russian airport in February of 2022 on drug possession charges. She was eventually convicted and sentenced to nine years hard labor before the U.S. freed her in a prisoner swap last December. By February, the 6'9 Griner had officially signed with the Mercury to play the upcoming season, which starts on May 19. And in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers made his first statements today as the newest member of the New York Jets, calling it a surreal day. The four-time MVP made no promises about playing beyond the upcoming season, but he did comment at the site of their lone Super Bowl III trophy from way back in 1969, saying it was looking a little lonely. Now, not only is it their only title, the Jets haven't even made the postseason in a dozen years. If your sports viewing schedule tonight, plenty more playoff action. First in the NBA, big night. Four games on as the Lakers play at Memphis up 3-1. Cleveland hosts New York down 3-1. Miami plays on the road at Milwaukee with a 3-1 lead. And then defending champion Golden State Warriors play at Sacramento in a series tied at two. And for you hockey fans, two game fives tonight as Boston looks to finish off Florida up 3-1 and Colorado hosts Seattle in a series tied at two games apiece. And finally, for you baseball fans, eight games on tonight, including one with the reigning NL Cy Young winner, Sandy Alcantara and the Florida Marlins, playing the Braves in Atlanta. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.